Hello and welcome to another episode of Bailiwick Podcasts. I'm Jodie Uttram and today I will be speaking with Yvonne Corbin, the CEO of a local food charity called Caring Cooks, which has this week celebrated its 10th anniversary. The charity aims to combat food poverty and promote healthy eating habits across the island. And Yvonne has shared with me the triumphs and the challenges faced by Caring Cooks across the decade. On today's episode, we'll discuss the prevalence of food insecurity in Jersey, where families are increasingly relying on cheaper and more processed foods due to what she calls a cost of living emergency. Additionally, she talked about how a lack of access to nutritious foods is impacting the cognitive development of young people. Hi Yvonne, thank you so much for being here today to chat with me. You're the CEO of a food charity called Caring Cooks, which has this week celebrated its 10-year anniversary, which is really exciting. So just to dive straight in, since you've been involved with the charity in 2020, what do you think are the key food issues in Jersey? Yeah, hi Josie, Um, thank you for having me. So I I joined the charity at a very different time um, a different time. I joined bang in the middle of the COVID pandemic. So I didn't really have much to go on kind of pre, um, pre-COVID. But what I did, what I have seen is um, that it's created a lot of anxiety in, in, in the public. Children uh, have obviously missed time off at school um, so there's difficulty around that. And because we, we work predominantly in schools, we can see quite a lot of, of, of the, those differences um, since we've kind of gone back to a normal Jersey, so to speak. What do you think is like the key issues that are like affecting the island since the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, what I can tell you um, from, from, you know, every day, what we're seeing every day is that it's not just a certain group. It's not just the lower socioeconomic group. It's affecting um, families across the island. Um, and that, you know, we've, we've had the COVID pandemic. We've had the cost of living. People call it a crisis. I call it an, an emergency. Um, you know, we've had food increases. And it's all of these put together, all of these combined, has had such a, a detrimental effect on families. You know, we've had, um, you know, interest rates soaring. So people who have bought properties are not able to pay their mortgage anymore. So they're having to sell their properties. You know, they're having to take on extra jobs. All of this affects, you know, good nutrition in families. There might not be that, you know, that that spare income, that disposable income to be able to, to buy you know, the healthier foods. A lot of people we find uh, are going towards the cheaper foods. They're going towards packaged, processed, highly processed foods. Um, and we can see the difference that that is making within our school settings with those younger children. We can see differences in, you know, their behaviour before lunchtime and then their behaviour after lunchtime. Um, and, you know, we, we have this anecdotally as well from our schools. What do you think are the negative consequences of not receiving adequate nutritious meals, especially for for young people? You mentioned maybe difficulties in paying attention, but if you could just talk about, you know, maybe the short term and longer longer term consequences of not having access to nutrition at a young age. 
Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing um, from the latest Jersey Child Measurement Programme report, so that was 2022 to 2023, that, you know, the, the, the childhood obesity rates are really quite alarming. Um, with that, you know, you, you've, you've got the difficulties of, um, you know, attention, attention in schools. You know, you, you've got children that can't, they can't hold that, they haven't got that attention span mm-hmm. um, because they're not having adequate food. Some Quite often we're having children that come into school and they've not had any breakfast. That's kind of, that's always happened in schools, but, but now it's more prevalent. Um, we, we, we can see more breakfast clubs popping up in schools. We have more um, companies that are, are supporting schools in in financing breakfast clubs. I had a meeting today um, with one of our suppliers saying, how can we work together to get more breakfast into your schools? Um, It really is across the board. And what we are seeing is that parents are becoming increasingly, increasingly frustrated because their children are kind of getting used to those processed ready meals. You know, people aren't using electricity because it's so expensive. So they'll put something in the microwave rather than oven cooking it and slow cooking um you know so they 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 can see the difference in their child's behavior as well you get to that that stage where you just don't know what to do um and that's something that we're addressing within caring cooks we are reaching out to parents within schools and we've just piloted um a course for parents to help help in those situations Mm -hmm. and in addition to sort of educating in schools and educating parents about the value of nutritional meals you've also introduced a school meals initiative um, in a number of schools Um, so if you could tell me a bit about that about the sort of children that might receive a free school meal and about what the benefits of that are. Okay so this is an initiative that we started um, a few years ago with the the government of Jersey we we recognised you know there there isn't adequate food in schools I mean, I, I don't know if, if many people are aware of this, but primary schools in Jersey were not built with kitchens, so there, there's, there was no setting for children to sit down and, and have a hot meal. So we kind of lobbied government in that respect and said, listen, you know, why, what can we do about this? We're happy, you know, to, um, to mobilise this. Um, and see what the results are. And, you know, the, the results are astounding, really. So we started off with two schools. Um, we're now in six primary schools. Um, we cook our meals fresh every day from our central kitchen, and we deliver them out hot. So they're eaten within an hour um, of leaving, kind of an hour and a half of leaving the kitchen, sitting down for a hot meal. We keep it at temperature and um, and the uptake is is really significant. It's quite difficult to to please every child in every school because they're eating different things in the evenings. And if you have a child that isn't used to home-cooked meals, for instance, um, it's quite difficult to change those behaviours. But we can see that increasingly they are changing those behaviours. We used to provide puddings in schools um, you know, not the the sticky toffee puddings that I had when I was a child, but you know, it was a it was a, a pudding made with fifty percent fruit. We've removed that completely, and we've gone to just whole fresh fruit. And the uptake in in a lot of our schools are, are astounding. So we we can see the difference that it's making. It's easier for parents; they don't have to worry about you know providing that hot meal that hot meal or that lunchbox. Um, you know, it's 
it's the way forward really and if I had my way I would I would have hot school meals in every single school and I would make it mandatory so that those behaviours can be changed um, in those early years. And I read that you have different initiatives in schools such as obviously educating children around the importance of eating healthy and that also you have some sort of gardening initiative, some sort of growing initiative. I don't know if that was one from past years or if that's still ongoing but I wonder if you talk about that and about the importance of children sort of engaging with the life cycle of food you know from growing crops getting their hands dirty how that can maybe make them excited about eating healthy and about eating local foods. Yeah that was an initiative that actually became um, it, it, it came before our educational programs in school so we set up two kitchen garden projects and it was derived from Jamie Oliver's um, initiative all those years ago and we kind of copied the model and said right well how is it going to make a difference in our schools it was highly successful you know the children were grow- they love getting their hands dirty they love to see things grow I mean anyone who remembers their childhood if you were growing something in school it was so exciting um, that hasn't changed that hasn't changed you know children do want to know where their food is coming from they want to see it grow they want to know what they're eating and and you know it's amazing how many children will eat or they'll try something that they've grown whereas if you if you gave them something that they'd never seen before you know quite rightly so they'd say oh i don't know about you know trying that one um so it was an it was an amazing initiative we had you know pizza ovens in our kitchen gardens so that the produce that they were um, creating that they were growing they would make pizzas from it um, it was really successful the problem that we had with that um, program was that we we had to rely on people to look after those um, plots and as soon as COVID came along it kind of all fell apart a little bit there was nobody that was able to go and, and nurture those gardens um, and you know it's it's an age-old problem with, with charities trying to get volunteers it's really really difficult so we kind of parked that um, for a time. But during that time, we also implemented our Let's Get Cooking program, which is a cross-curricular program. We started off in five schools. Um, we, we, we go into the schools and we teach a program for years one to year six. So that by the time a, a primary school child leaves school, leaves that primary school setting, they've got 30 recipes under their belt. It gives them that passion or, you know, it gives them the opportunity to have that passion for food and for the hospitality industry. Um, and that's still running now. And, you know, really, really exciting. We, we have a plan to be able to grow that project um, and, and get it into every single primary school um, who want it, you know, the primary schools that want it um, over the next three years. So that's really, really exciting for us. And have you also recently started a course with the restaurant Samfire? Is that a separate course? That's a bit separate. Yeah, that, that, that's a little bit separate. I mean, obviously, we're, we're a really agile charity and we try to go where the need is. And we've kind of identified that there's a group, there's a cohort of young people that might not have had the opportunity to um, to learn the basics of cooking, um, you know, even things like, you know, shopping, preparing a, a, a shopping list, shopping effectively, you know, meal planning, that kind of navigating the supermarket even, you know, can be quite daunting to a young person. Mm-hmm. 
So we created a, a six-week course just to address, um, you know, every kind of element from writing a list to actually tasting the food at the end of it. Um, that course is being run by um, Christian Gott, who is known as the Island Chef. We haven't started that course yet. We did have, we've, we've reached out to certain certain groups of people for that course. So that will be up and running um, as soon as we can, as soon as we get that, you know, the, the people into the course, the young people into the course. But that's that's really exciting as well. And Samfire, you know, they've been great in giving us their space for free. You know, they're really standing by what we do and they really believe in what we do and they're passionate about it as well. So it's a perfect partnership. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you've just had so many initiatives over the years that are all amazing and sort of addressing different areas of the problem from sort of short-term mm-hmm. urgency assistance, like long-term systematic change and, you know, inspiring young people to be excited about eating healthy. And I thought it was really interesting what you said about, you know, going shopping. So I remember when I went to university and, you know, I was buying all my own food. I was just buying, like, all the wrong things, like, way too much of this ingredient, and that would go out of date. And then, I don't know, I just found it, it sounds silly, but I actually found it really, really hard, and that's not even something that you'd even yeah. think about. You've had so many great initiatives. So I just wanted to sort of go back to the beginning, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. How did the initiative start? Who was responsible for starting the charity, and and how did it begin? So um, Melissa Nabrega was a um, young Jersey mum. She doesn't actually live here anymore. She lives in Australia. She handed her her third child, as she called it, to me um, back in 2020. But she started it in 2014, and and she recognised that there were families out there that could do with some support, really. You know, just a bit of respite from, you know, working hard, raising young, small children, um, the daily pressures of life financial difficulty so she started cooking a meal for one family in particular um on a saturday when she was cooking a family meal and it kind of grew from there um you know the the need was was recognized amongst other groups of people some more volunteers came forward and said well actually i'd like to do that i can cook an extra meal so a facebook group was formed um, and it was called i think it was called caring cooks for jersey and you know people could offer on certain days to cook a meal and they'd be cooking for I don't know three families two families just one family and then it kind of grew from there and it she became very aware that there was huge need in Jersey despite you know when you when you come into Jersey you see the the nice private jets and the yachts and the you know the the housewives of Jersey mm-hmm. if you want if you want to call it that mm-hmm. um you know there is there is um, a definite need out there that is has, has gone unrecognised. So that's kind of how it started. And then um, it grew into a need for education because what she tried to do was to offer um, adult courses, family courses, um, for whatever reason, that didn't work. And, and then the problem kind of, she flipped it on its back and, and thought, well, actually... How about we educate the children? Rather than educating the parents, we educate the children. We start from there and, you know, we, we kind of instill it in children, the importance of good nutrition, um, which is how the, the Let's Get Cooking program started. So within those cooking sessions, it's not just about cooking. You know, the children learn how to count 
they learn how to read recipes, you know, weigh in and measure in. So you've got the maths element in there. You've got the history of where the food comes from, the geography um, and the science around cooking. So, you know, we're, we're hitting all of those really, really essential subjects within that program. And they don't even realise they're learning because they're just having fun cooking. <laughs> and just going back to one of sort of your first initiatives, which I think was the weekly meal service to sort of vulnerable families. I wanted to ask how demand might have changed for that service over the years, especially during COVID and how many families were receiving these weekly meals. So before we before COVID, we were we were cooking around 30 meals a week. Um, for families. So we we work on a referral service. So we don't identify the families from our side. They they come in on a referral system. So other charities, it could be be a GP, even it could be schools. Anyone who can identify that there might be a family in need um, would would refer in to us. So we were looking at about 30 meals per week. Um, That was steady for a long, long time. And then COVID hit and we, we kind of pivoted our service into a daily service so um volunteers came forward and i don't know if you you remember but i i in a weird way i really enjoyed covid and lockdown because everyone the whole community came together to help each other and that's what happened with our weekly meal service it turned into a daily meal service and all these people were offering money they were offering their time their support and we actually over that three-month period we 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 delivered, we cooked and delivered over 10,000 meals. So that was kind of, that was the start, really. And then as soon as we kind of got over that COVID hump, then the cost of living crisis, we had the war in Ukraine, food prices were increasing. It just became, it just seemed impossible. You know, we, we saw it with our school meals, you know, trying to navigate cost and suppliers when you know we were not getting as much food onto the island it kind of changed the shape for us of of jersey really so we could see our waiting lists getting longer for our weekly meal service we do still have those waiting lists um and we do get a lot of feedback from people uh, and our referrers saying you know we've never seen anything like this before we've never had this much demand for food services you know even the food banks we're reading every day about food banks you know there's the demand is incredible um and you know something needs to be done about this i'm i'm an advocate for you know removing gst from food that would be the first step i think that we could do but yeah there is there's a there's an ongoing demand i can't see that it's going to get any better um we've had to reshape our weekly meal service now so that we can reach more people you know the the barrier that we have is is trying to get volunteers to deliver the food we can make that food you know we can fundraise to to buy the food we can find people to cook the food what we can't find is people to deliver the food um so we're we're now going to be partnering with with brighter futures and we're gonna um we're going to cook more food so it reaches more people but those people can come and collect their food rather than us having to rely on delivery drivers if people would like to get involved and sort of sign up to to help how would they go about doing that um we've got we've got a volunteer page on our website so karencooksofjersey.com um you can you can sign up to, I mean, we will We will literally need just more people in the kitchen now because we'll be cooking more food. Um, 
we don't need delivery drivers because, like I said, we're going to change the model of the service. It will make it a lot easier. And if there's any food waste, it goes straight to those families at Brighter Futures. Mm -hmm. You know, it's based there. There'll be no food waste. Um, you know, in case a family can't can't collect for whatever reason, that food will not be wasted. It will go to a vulnerable family. Um, so, yeah, I can see that charities are changing up the way that they work um, to be able to reach more families. And with regards to the food waste issue, waste from supermarkets and stuff like that, I wonder if you could sort of talk about how that might contribute to the problem or, or how there might be a better solution. I know there are sort of some apps that are quite useful for... You know, people can go and collect maybe leftover food. I don't know too much about it. So if you could maybe tell me a little bit more about how food waste comes into the food insecurity issue. Yeah, it's a difficult one. And, and the reason I say it's difficult is because um, there are a lot of barriers to repurposing food. So, for instance, um, you know, our sister company, Flourish, runs um, food, school food in primary and secondary schools. Um we're not allowed to take any of that waste. If there's waste, we're not allowed to take it off the premises for health and, and safety reasons. You know, food safety is massive here, um, and as it should be. So it's really difficult to know what to do with food. Um, it just so happened that I had a, a conversation this morning um, with, a, with a food supplier who's trying to address this, and we've had lots of conversations around, you know, how can we... How, what can we do here? How can we make it better? How can we turn wasted food into um, food for vulnerable people, you know, food for the elderly, food for, for families that might be going through financial difficulty? How do we distribute it to, to parishes, different parishes? What we need is one central unit. So all suppliers bring whatever they, they, they have left over. It needs one central unit. All of the food suppliers send their waste to that central unit, and then it's converted into food. So Meals on Wheels, it could be our weekly meal service. It could be, you know, um, uh, age concern. You know, there are so many families out there. If they were able to go somewhere to find this food, to take it for free, it solves every single problem, right? Logistically, it's a nightmare. <laughs> and, until we have, <laughs> and until we have a unit, um, and I think it has to be driven by government, then there's not really a lot we can do. We've got things like Olio, but Olio is purely run by um, volunteers and those volunteers have to store that food in their own properties. They've got to go out and, and collect it in their own vehicles. There are massive barriers to that. Um, and there's kind of no control as to who gets that food, who receives that food. It's a brilliant initiative, but it doesn't solve the problem because there aren't enough people able to assist in that you know it, there's no kind of control around it I guess um there needs to be a solution and there needs to be a solution soon so we're you know I'm working with the likes of co-op Sheena Brocky um who can we, we're kind of trying to put our heads together and find a solution but these things do take time um but there is a lot of waste on the island I think the stats would would really shock people as to how much the supermarkets are wasting and you mentioned the need for a central unit um that leads quite nicely onto my next question which was going to be what are sort of your your future plans would would that be something that would be a goal or yeah so we we've we've got to kind of where where we want to be with our programs we know the people that we need to support um and the groups that we need to support um we're educating children we've got a plan to extend that 
you know, we, we're doing everything that we can. But the dream, that the future, the future dream is to have our own um, educational hub. I mean, Care and Cooks are all about education. You know, that's where it starts. You know, even you saying about, I didn't know where to start when, you know, I was at uni yeah, and yeah. I'm in the supermarket. You know, even that needs some education around it. Mm-hmm. You know, and we can very, very easily do that. We can provide. We can provide that. But we can't keep scratching around for workspaces to be able to do this you know um knocking on people's doors saying oh can we use your kitchen and you know we use using a, we need a kitchen during the day we need a kitchen in the evenings we need a kitchen at, at weekends you know we want to be do we want to be able to do so much we want to be able to um support family groups we want to be able to support children after school clubs you know holiday clubs teaching them you know the the basic you know, the essential, well, absolutely everything that, mm-hmm. you know, we we need to live, you know, we need to live and breathe. So if a child doesn't know about food education, um, you know, w- w- what hope have we got? You know, we, we, ha- we only have food education in the schools that we're in, as far as I'm concerned. Some secondary schools are absolutely fantastic with their um, food technology. We used to call it home economics. They don't call it that anymore. But you know, I loved home economics. Um, it, you just don't see it very much now. So if we had one central education hub, we could do all of this. You know, the world is our oyster and we want to reach absolutely everybody. You know, single parents, you know, men who don't know how to cook, kids going off to university, you know, we could we could support with all of that. We've 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 got everything we need. Um, we just need a, a space. Um, and, you know, people that might be reading this or listening to this might think, oh, but there's loads of, you know, hotels closing down. We've we've literally looked at everything. We need something like a community centre. Yeah. We need something that's accessible to people, that's central for people, um, for it to work. Mm-hmm. So I am manifesting that and we will we will find one one day. Um, but yeah, it's going to take time because we do need the right space. But we have massive dreams and we're going to keep on going until we fulfil them. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like that's something that's absolutely necessary because you've got all these amazing ideas and you just need sort of a base and a permanent space that can sort of be the hub for all these amazing initiatives you've mentioned a number of um sort of partners that you've worked with over the years such as flourish and you know recently samfire i was just wondering if you wanted to sort of mention a few or you know share a message of thanks to anyone who's helped you over the 10 years of oh charity. where do i start <laughs> sorry that's a bit of a tricky oh, one the list is endless probably i've got so many <laughs> Do you know what? When we we create an impact report every year, and um, you know, just a, a snapshot of what we've been doing and and the successes, and we always say thank you on the back page to whoever's supported us that year. And every year, I'm astounded. I mean, I've only done it for three years, but every year, I'm astounded at the amount of people that do support us. Okay. So I couldn't name every single one of them. I have to say, you know, Jersey Community Foundation yeah. are absolutely fantastic support. Um, they're amazing to deal with. They, you know, they they understand the need. Um, they're fantastic. Association of Jersey Charities are fantastic. You know, co-op are fantastic. We've got people like La Colette and Valley Foods. They 
they support us massively. You know, we're not just buying food from them. They're supporting us in, in our in our charity um, initiatives as well, which sometimes goes unnoticed. We've got great people like um, Apex who've supported us in the past. You know, they've supported us through our um, food and fuel voucher schemes that we've run for the last couple of years. We've got a new um, corporate partner called Altum Group, Mm-hmm. who I'm really, really excited about. They absolutely get what what, what we're doing. They're all about children and, and education and, and in particular, you know, those community projects that we're doing around food. So we're absolutely aligned with them. So we've got lots of plans with them um, coming up and that's really, really exciting. We've got lots of, um, we've got so many people that, that do support us. You know, they're constantly in touch. Is there anything we can do to help? You know, this is amazing what you're doing. How can we support? You know, we, I, I just feel like our brand is getting out there now and people are really understanding what, what it is we're doing. I think there was a little bit of confusion around school meals. Um, you know, are you a charity or do you just do school meals? What You know, what do Karen Cooks do? I think I've kind of separated the two or I've started to separate the two so that there's no real confusion. We've got caring cooks that support education and community projects. And then we've got Flourish, which is a subsidiary of the charity, which works um, as a social enterprise. And that's that's based around school food and their um, contracts that we we run for for government. Um, So, yeah, there are lots of people to say thank you to Government of Jersey and you know, other Sipes team are absolutely fantastic. Um, I work very much in partnership with them now. It's not just a, there's a contract, fulfill the contract. We we do absolutely work in partnership. Yeah, there, there are so many. And if I've missed anyone out, I'm so sorry, but I've if probably you know, missed you know. about 15. <laughs> if you know, you know, I've missed out about 50 people, I'm sure. Other charities, you know, Brighter Futures are so fantastic. Yeah. We work so well with them. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. That's the thing about Jersey. Obviously, there are these like huge issues, but the sense of community is so strong. It's like you mentioned with the pandemic and everyone pulling together, and more recently with the storm, like it takes a crisis, doesn't it, for it to come through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's so nice to hear that like so many people are so supportive of your charity. Like, I think you're just doing great things, especially with you know driving change from the bottom up educating young people and sort of getting changing the way they think about food and helping parents I I think it's a really great initiative and yeah I've really really enjoyed hearing about it so thank you so much I know you weren't feeling very well today but you've been great and (laughs) thank you so much oh thank you Um, thank you my my brain's a little bit mush today (laughs) and I, I, I feel like I struggled for words but um yeah, no, it's been lovely to talk to you. There's there's so much more that I can talk about. Um, but, you know, I'll be here all day because it, a lot of people who know me know that I'm, you know, I'm quite vocal and um, and I've got a lot to say. But, yeah, I will I will leave you in peace. <laughs> I just have one more question, <laughs> if that's OK. I should have asked this at the start. Yeah, yeah. But how did you sort of get into this role? I'm not really sure what your background was before this, but I was just interested to see how you sort of got involved with being working for a food charity yeah i you know what i'll, I'll take you on a on a really short whistle stop tour um i've done quite a lot in in my life i came to jersey in 1990 and i worked for tour in the tourism industry which is sadly in decline now um, i then went into finance um banking and trust 
um, I went into, I've actually trained as a gymnastics coach within that time. I've trained as a beauty therapist. Um, I've worked in lots of different places. I've been in retail. Um, I helped set up a, a, a music festival in Jersey, which I got really, really involved in in the last kind of 10 years. And then I went into marketing. And from marketing, um, I went into this, but it was it was never something that was on my radar. Um, I just so happened to have a, a meet a meeting with Melissa Nebrega, and she asked me to be an ambassador for the charity because I, I found it quite um, not easy, but I, quite natural to um, to talk about the charity and and raise funds for the charity. So. I couldn't go in as a fundraiser, um, but I said, you know, I'm happy to shout about the charity and, and be that kind of charity champion for you, which I did for a short while. And then she asked me to join the board of directors. So I joined the board and then out of the blue, um, yeah, she asked me if I'd take over the charity for her because she wanted to emigrate to Australia. Wow. Um, which, was really, which was really quite bizarre because <laughs> all I'd seen on the board I hadn't, um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't worked for a charity before. I'd not even been, you know, in a fundraising position or, you know, I'd my marketing background, but I didn't even have a lot of that. So um, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a weird one. Um, I have no experience. And she said, no, you're, you'll be absolutely fine. You're the right person for the job. So, you know, I, I took counsel from a few friends and my um my mentor at the time and he said oh you did it, it, it's what you were born to do so just do it um so yeah so here I am wow, three, years down, line, three years down the line <laughs> and it's been it's been an eye-opener you know mm -hmm. I never you know people say to you when you say oh yeah I work for charity oh is that full-time um yeah it's all the time no <laughs> it's not full-time it's not part-time it, it kind of takes over your life because when you're so passionate about what you do it is a, it becomes your life, you know, and it's it's quite hard to get that balance back because you don't see it as work. You just see it as you know, this is what you're doing, and this is this is what you're meant to do. Um, so you've just got to keep going. Um, but yeah, my, I've built up the team. Um, I've got a fantastic board. I've got fantastic management team. So yeah, I I I could not do this job without the people that I have around me. You know, they're the ones that are making this happen so yeah I'm so so grateful oh that's amazing well it sounds like you've got an absolutely amazing team and all of you doing such amazing things for the island and to make it a better and you know more oh more thank place. you so thank you for all your amazing work and thank you so much for speaking oh, to no me oh no problem at all thank you for tuning in to this episode of Bailiwick Podcasts and a big thanks to Yvonne for sharing her journey with us and for her amazing work in creating a healthier and more inclusive island.